The Daily Tap is live for Friday. It is April 7th. We're going to talk about draft takes that I have, the spiciest ones, the hottest ones uh, so far as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft. We'll do Golden Kegs with Brewers-Mets. We'll also preview the Brewers series against the Cardinals this weekend. Can we take anything away from it? How much does it matter? Uh, We'll get into that. And, oh, we're going to talk also, before we talk about the Brewers, we'll also mention, you know, sort of the recent rumors around uh, the Aaron Rodgers and where that sits and why I think that's important and why I think that makes business sort of pick up a little bit. Uh, so we'll discuss those, you know, kind of where we sit right now with the Roger stuff before we dive into the Brewers. And then we'll do the Brewers. And that'll probably be it. I don't, not a ton of Buck stuff. Um, the Middleton injury, maybe touch on at the end. But I, there's not a ton going on right now. We're just waiting for the playing tournament. We did a lot of Bucks uh, yesterday on Tabbing the Keg. So you can go listen to that if you really need your Bucks fix and you haven't listened to Tabbing the Keg yet. Make sure you're following us along on social media. Tabbing the Keg on Twitter, Tabbing the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. Uh, We are there. We're also there on Facebook. If you are so curious, uh, make sure that you are rating and reviewing if you've already subscribed. If you've subscribed to the podcast, great. If uh, you haven't, uh, make sure you're doing that. If you're new to the show, uh, you found us on TikTok, you found us on Instagram, and you're checking us out for the first time, that's great. Welcome welcome to the show. Welcome to the Terradome. Uh, but make sure you're subscribed. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on wherever else you get your podcast. If you've been subscribed for a while, uh, make sure that you're dropping us in the group chat. You're telling, you know, like, oh man, a lot of draft talk today. Uh, you know, these are really good takes. Feel free to throw that in. Share with your friends. Tell people about us. It's Easter weekend. Um, you'll be with your families likely on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, make sure, you're ta- hey, I'm listening to this great podcast, Tapping the Keg Sports. Uh, it, it does what local radio has been missing here in the city of Milwaukee for the last pretty much year, year plus, if not more. Um, so yeah, I, I would really appreciate that. Um, and hopefully we get some new listeners next week. All right, let's waste no more time. Let's talk about the NFL draft of the Green Bay Packers and the spiciest takes I have. The NFL draft is always a fun time of year. Uh, it is you know, somewhat silly season, right? You have a lot of different takes. I think Hendon Hooker uh, being projected as a top five pick by Mike Tanpom was the king of the silly season where it's like, all right, how can we be different? All right, I know a 25-year-old quarterback has a top five NFL draft pick. Uh, that, that to me, while I respect Mike Tannenbaum, like that was way out of bounds. There's no fucking way that's going to happen. Um, and, that, and that sort of encapsulates where we are right now. I think everybody is in a holding pattern. It's like the scene in the office where there's a bunch of finger guns back and forth, whether it's Andy, whether it's Dwight or Michael Scott, you take your pick on what the Green Bay Packers are with the New York Jets. Because I think the Green Bay Packers want to know what their compensation is. I think there are fans who want to know the Packers' compensation. There are people that are still putting out mock drafts and putting out how they project the Green Bay Packers to be in this NFL draft, even without those drafts, those picks with the assumption that Jordan Love is going to be the quarterback. And I think that's a fair way to approach it. I think that's a fair way to see what it might be like for the Green Bay Packers. I also know that there is some concern by people that the Green Bay Packers might take a step back. I'm of the belief that I don't, while I think Super Bowl is maybe a little bit unrealistic expectation for the Green Bay Packers in the start of September, I'm not saying it might not be come November, 
I still think that people are undervaluing what Green Bay can be next year. I think the fact that their over-under right now is seven, the fact that they are, I think, like plus 450 to win the division is fucking ridiculous. I, I think the downturn on the Green Bay Packers is overstated because I think Jordan Love has been there for a while. The hype around Jordan Love is real. I think the fact that this defense last year sort of figured some stuff out, and you heard Matt LaFleur talk about this defense and and what he saw down the stretch and, and part of the reason why Joe Barry kept his job, whether we like it or don't like it, there was a really great thread. I can't remember the guy. I think his name was Sam. I can't remember his last name. I apologize. He he had a great thread during owners owners the owners meeting where it made me feel like, oh my God, like I actually it makes a little more sense why Joe Barry kept his job. Um, and I may I should have bookmarked that so I saved it. So I had that knowledge because I'm sure I'll refer back to that thread way too many times um, as we get closer and closer to the NFL season. But I, I look at it all and I, I see the Green Bay Packers as not this meddling team, as not this team that's headed to, towards this like Cold War era where we aren't going to have any success. I think there are the doom and gloom, maybe more pro Rodgers that believe that this Packers team is going to take several steps back. I, I don't I don't see that. I, I really don't. And maybe that's my optimism. Maybe that's just how I how I operate as a fan. But I think I would be real with you guys if I saw a rebuild here. And I, I just don't. Um, I, I think that this is, you know, it, it's not similar to what the Brewers do, where it's like they want to be good every year. But I, I do feel like there are, it, it's it's a similar vibe maybe. Maybe not. It's, not, it's exactly the same, but it's, it's a similar vibe because I think Jordan Love's been around for long enough where you should trust that Jordan Love is going to deliver. And then that hopefully this NFL draft is going to give you guys that are ready to win day one. So these are takes that I have about different positional spots, different things of need, sort of how I feel like the draft is sort of shaking out right now. The first take that I have is that unless Jackson Smith and Jim is there, draft something else uh, at wide receiver. Uh, because here's the thing, Jackson Smith and Jim is great. Like, I think Jackson Smith and Jimba is an awesome talent. I don't think he's gonna be there, whether the Packers have a 13th pick or a 15th pick, I don't think he's gonna be there. I think he's gonna go early. I think that's unfortunate. I think the fact that Jack Smith Jibba didn't play last year is a touch concerning. I don't usually like that um, because usually it takes those guys a little longer to acclimate. That said, I feel like he is the best receiver in the draft. I think it's not even close. Um, and I think where the Packers are drafting, it doesn't make sense to take a receiver unless it's JSN. And that's and, I, and they do need receivers. Like receivers need to need to happen. And Matt Lafleur talked about getting a veteran wide receiver, and I don't know who that is because there's not many left. Like Marvin Jones just went to the Lions last week. Like where where are those veteran wide receivers? Are they expecting Corey Davis to come back in a trade? I mean that's the general assumption. And if it, if you work off that assumption and you say all right, you have Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Corey Davis, Samari Torre. I still think you need a wide receiver, but maybe it's not a number. It's the first round or even the second round. It might be the third round, fourth round, you know, a guy who's sort of under the radar, who's sort of could replace a need, whether it's replacing, you know, adding more, another vertical threat or adding a guy that's similar to Alan Lazard, right? There are a couple guys in the draft uh, that, that people have poked out where they're like, okay, yeah, they could fill that sort of Lazard need. I really like Jalen Hyatt, you know, as a guy who could be in the second round. It looks like he's going to fall in that. Could, will he go as far as like the 40s? I don't know. I don't think so. 
But that's that's one guy where I'm like, all right, yeah, you draft in the second round. I'm fine if they sort of repeat what they did last year and they move up in the second round to get a wide receiver. They did that with Christian Watson. I feel like that gets forgotten when you, we have the wide receiver discourse about the Green Bay Packers. Uh, but I, I really do think that people, that could happen. I, I just don't think Jordan Addison, Quinton Johnson, like I don't think those guys are, are worth, you know, middle of the first round, you know, selections. And I think JSN is worth that. And if for some reason the Packers are bad next year, and I'm wrong about what I how I opened with the show, you know Marvin Marvin Harrison Jr. is a can't miss prospect, and he's going to be a guy that I think will go top five. Um, and if the Packers are not good and they they are top five, like that's a guy that you draft, and then there's your future. And then you have Marvin Harrison, uh, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and you're pre, you're pretty well set. But I I don't I, I don't want to talk that negative, and I don't think the Packers are going to be that bad. But I, I look at the wide receiver position and I do not see like it's like, yeah, absolutely on the table, a must have for, for Green Bay. Let's talk, let's move to defense and say, talk about the edge. And I don't think the Packers need one round one either. I, I think it's not that important. I do think they need an edge, but I just don't think it's the first thing that I'm, I'm looking for. Uh, they'll be okay with Justin Hollins, Kinsley, Inunbare, Preston Smith. I, I mean, I'm fine with Miles Murphy. I don't really get the Luke, Luke Van Ness stuff. I know he is a perfect Packers sort of project. He The Roz scores off the table. He's exactly what they sort of look at. But that said, I don't, I don't exactly, I don't exactly get it. I don't exactly understand, you know, what what's there the guy's just a big physical freak like are we really sure that he's it's just gonna all sort of work out for him i don't know um i think you're taking a risk i think it's he's a better guy for somebody who's rebuilding who might be a playoff team this year not what i think the green bay packers are i just think van ness would get wouldn't get the reps that i think he needs um and if they're okay with it maybe they are um but I don't look at edge and I'm like, oh yeah, you have to draft an edge. I think if it's the best guy on the board, if Miles Murphy's there and he's your number one guy, go draft him and and really build up that pass rush. I think the Green Bay Packers did a good job last year of getting a better pass rush. So to continue that and to further that um, with a guy like Murphy or Van Ness, it's not a bad thing, um, but I'm not like a huge, huge Van Ness guy. Despite what the haters say, Tight end can be drafted early. I know there's been this thing of like, don't draft tight ends in the first round. They never work out. Um, but th- this tight end dra- draft is as good as it gets. And sometimes when a tight end draft is as good as it gets, teams are going to reach out for tight ends. I mean, the 49ers right now are looking at tight ends. Cameron Lato uh, visited the 49ers the other day and they don't really need a tight end. They have George Kittle. Like, why, why do they need a tight end? Maybe they want to move on from Kittle. But even teams who wear it's a position of strength, they might still look at the tight end position like, how do we make it even stronger? And so that's where I think there should be an emphasis for the Packers to get a tight end. I think if, you know, if it's Smith Ajiba versus like Dalton Kincaid, I want to draft JSN, right? But if they draft Dalton Kincaid with the 15th pick, I'm not going to, I'm not going to cry about it. Okay. Like I, I really am not. I, I think that you can figure it out with rookie, rookie tight ends. And if they're ready to go and they're ready day one, then do it. I, I would be, I'd feel maybe a little bit better about a guy who's in the third round, like a Sam Laporta or something like that. Uh, just given the fact that, you know, those, that's a little bit more where tight ends tend to flourish for whatever reason. And I, I don't get it. I don't know if it's pressure. I don't know if it's, 
Just they they do a little bit more on the field. I don't understand the correlation between tight ends in the first round just don't work versus, you know, tight ends second through, through round four work. Like, is it because, you know, some teams take, you know, other skills for granted? I don't, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure. I'd be stunned at Michael Mayer. He's, he's getting less and less mocked to the Green Bay Packers. Um, and I just, he doesn't necessarily fit exactly what Green Bay wants to do. Um, but I, I do, I do wonder, you know, is that, is that a guy where it throws it off the scent, right? Devontae Wyatt was a guy we, none of us thought would be drafted by the Green Bay Packers and then all of a sudden he gets drafted and you're like, holy shit. So yeah, with Mayer, I don't expect it, but I, I'm not going to be opposed if Green Bay goes after a tight end early on. I, I just think it's, it's a position of need. You want to fill needs and I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shy away from it just because you know, history tells you that first round tight ends are bad. You know, that's that to me, that's flawed logic. Like that's, it's just, it's kind of dumb fan stuff where we, we, we get too far into it versus take a step back and saying, all right, is this guy going to help the team? Yes. Is he the best on the board? Absolutely. And so I, I think there needs to be a little bit more of that, but if they go with Luke Musgrove in the second round. Like, I don't think, I don't think anyone's crying about that either. I'm very nervous about the safety position. I don't really like any of the safeties that are there. Like Brian Branch, the numbers have been terrible. He's fallen sort of out of out of favor. Um, there isn't really a guy that that stands out. Maybe a Sydney Battle, uh, Sydney Brown, not Jordan Battle, uh, who I just like that. Sydney Brown, I, I do like. Uh, he's not bad. Uh, he's more of a second to second to third round guy. So maybe that's someone they do end up drafting. Uh, very high end athlete. So I assume without looking, the Ross score is great. He had, he's pretty pretty speedy um, and has good speed. Um, and he stays in the box, so he's kind of that strong safety type. Um, good against the run. I, I like the idea of him. I mean, I like that Illinois defense last year. Um, and I always, when I look at draft prospects, I always look at how their like collective team was, you know, defensively. And you know, they had Devin Witherspoon, who's going to be anywhere from you know low top ten to early early teens pick. And Sidney Brown, part of that. Chase Brown, also part of that. Twin brother, uh, who's very talented and will get drafted as well. Like I, I think Sidney Brown is a guy who I, I look at and I say, all right, you get that in the second or third round, and he competes with Darnell Savage for a starting spot. I think he's ready to go. He's a redshirt senior. Again, another experienced dude who who can play. And that's and that's it. And and I, I like that. I don't want to get a guy who can't necessarily do it all. Um, I I think. I think there is a lot, a lot there. Um, I think Jordan Battle, like I like Jordan Battle a lot. I think he he can really hit a little. He's rangy, like there's a lot, there's a lot there, but he's not like a best at this type of thing. Like he does think everything well, but he doesn't do anything extraordinary. So are you willing to take that risk? Also, he played as a true freshman at Alabama. So I do wonder like, is that going to wear you out? Now we've seen like the Minka Fitzpatrick's, right? Where he played as a true true freshman and he was great in the NFL. And it's interesting that he's a day two guy given that. But I think it's more the fact that again, he doesn't have one of that that one standout thing. And people put guys like, you know, Sidney Brown ahead of him, Brian Ranch, his teammate ahead of him. So I do wonder, you know, is battle, you know, the the guy as well. So I just look at the safety position and I have no idea what Green Bay is doing with it. I, I don't get it. I don't know if it, the new the new coach, Greg Williams, is looking at it and he has a different philosophy on it. And maybe he's he looks at it, 
Darnell Savage and potentially bringing back Adrian Amos. Remember, Adrian Amos still doesn't have a deal. The fact that he went to Baltimore, his home city, and didn't get a deal, I felt like was a huge red flag to where Adrian Amos might be in his career. Um, and But maybe they bring him back. And I'm not for that. I, I would like Green Bay to start fresh. But I also would like a veteran presence. I felt I felt like Green Bay really dropped the ball there. Like even not signing like a Taylor Rapp, right? Who I think did a one-year deal with Cincinnati, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I, I have no idea why Green Bay would be involved with somebody like that just to have a veteran presence, have somebody that maybe would push Donald Savage. Uh, because I, I really don't understand, A, bringing Savage back. I know he had a good good end of the year, but it was a nickel corner. It wasn't safety. So they're going to try to do safety again now with a new coach. I, I don't know, man. I know he's fighting for a contract. So maybe a contract here, Darnell Savage, that's your positive, but you're still lacking a free safety. So who is that person? I don't know. Uh, but we'll have to, we'll just kind of have to see. We'll have to see what Green Bay does from a, a safety perspective um, and where, where they go. But I'm not... I'm not in the uh, not feeling great about that, and I think if they draft one, I'll be happy. But I'm not like all in on, on the safety position, you know, in terms of what the draft says. The center position is the one I think to draft anywhere on the old line. Um, I get there's tackles there, but I actually don't understand like the need for a tackle. Like I've seen uh, was Darnell Wright uh, be mocked to the Packers, the, ten, the very talented Tennessee tackle. I've seen Dewan Jones also be mocked to the Packers. I, if the thought is you want to draft a tackle because you're going to let Josh Nyman walk in free agency, which is probably likely, and you're going to trade David Bakhtiari. I would not trade David Bakhtiari. I'd let David Bakhtiari be a Packer for life. There's a, there aren't a lot of guys that get a third contract with, with the Green Bay Packers. It's extraordinary Hall of Fame talent. And that's what David Bakhtiari is. I let David Bakhtiari play out his contract. I let David Bakhtiari be the leader of the locker room. Matt Schneiman just had something today about, you know, they lose a lot of leadership with Rodgers and Mercedes Lewis and Randall Cobb not being there. And that it's on Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones to sort of be those tone setters, be those leaders. I think you keep David Bakhtiari as long as David Bakhtiari wants to keep playing football. I could see David Bakhtiari retiring early. Just seems like that kind of guy, right? You know, you see the Long Brothers, right? And they have their Greenlight podcast. They do a great job with that. And they they bounced out early. I, I would not be surprised if David Bakhtiari is an early retirement guy. I have no knowledge of that. So I'm not like trying to break anything here. But I, I, going back to like the tackle position and why I, I have an emphasis on center. Number one is... I th- even if like you're gonna move Bakhtiari, even you're and maybe re-sign Josh Nyman, like okay, you have Zach Tom and you have Josh Nyman, you have Dave Bakhtiari right now. Like you're you're in a pretty good spot. And even if you feel like you're gonna lose one of those guys next year, uh, obviously being Nyman or, or Bakhtiari, you can draft somebody fifth round, sixth round. I mean, they've hit on so many tackles in later rounds. That's where I just don't think it's it's necessary. They also have Rasheed Walker. Remember him? He was the, the big, big tackle that they drafted last year in the seventh round from Penn State, who was very talented, was a former five-star guy, did not amount to it at Penn State. They still have him on the roster. Like And Josh Nyman was like that, right? He was a project, and they worked him up, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, he's handling himself against Nick Bosa a couple years ago in San Francisco. So I just look at it, and I'm I'm not – that concerned about the tackle position, where I, I do think the the Packers need some help as center because Josh Myers, like, is Josh Myers good? I don't I don't know. I don't think so. Like, it, it's just, it, to me, like, Josh Myers should be a lot better. 
especially given the fact that you look at Creed Humphrey, who got drafted right after Josh Myers, and Creed Humphrey was is fucking awesome. Like Creed Humphrey is really, really good. So that's where I look at it, and I'm like, well, why wouldn't you get somebody to make Josh Myers compete with Jop? Like, shouldn't Josh Myers have to have to compete a little bit with with his job? And there are guys available in the second and third round, like Oz, Ozogan Ololame. I, I probably butchered that name. Um, uh, from Michigan, like he was a guy who was in the transfer portal, uh, played at Virginia, started right away, and then he went to Michigan and is in the senior role. He has a little bit of a lack of length, um, but because he can only play center. But again, that's that's the guy who could potentially potentially pressure. Um, Steve Avila is another guy that a lot of people like, um, and and potentially there. Joe Tipman from Wisconsin. Um, I know. I think we all we all want to draft Wisconsin players. Um, and that's something that people forget or people think like Wisconsin's a farm system for for Green Bay. But if you ever listen to Murph on the podcast, he talks all the time about how, you know, Wisconsin Packers should draft a Wisconsin lineman every year is kind of his philosophy because you usually hit. And he was their starting center. He was really good against the run, very good against the pass, allowed one sack and five pressures over the year. Uh, he's kind of getting mocked now into the early second round, so maybe it's not somebody you can get, but he can also play guard. He's 6'6", 317. Uh, the kid out of Michigan is a little shorter, uh, only at 6'3", and 310. So I, I look at that as, as maybe a potential option for Green Bay, or for, yeah, for Green Bay. and I, I think that, that that could be on the table. Um, why not you know, have a little pressure for Josh Nyman? And then also, if you could get a guy that could play a little guard, it's not a bad thing. I think Runyon's good, but why, why not put a little pressure on him? Sean Ryan had a very disappointing year one, uh, third round draft pick. We don't need to go through it all. Um, Royce Newman, I can't believe, is still on an NFL roster. So it wouldn't be a bad thing to add a guard there. Uh, other positions, other takes, that I have, I don't want to draft a quarterback. I know Hendon Hooker took a visit to Green Bay. I know some people say Clayton Toon looks like a, a potential option. I want to draft a vet. I want to get a veteran. I don't know what veteran is still out there. I think like Blaine Gabbert and Mason Rudolph. I want a veteran there just because I don't think it's a good idea to go Jordan Love and a rookie. If Jordan Love gets hurt and then it's a rookie quarterback, I want to look at 24 as, as a year to draft a rookie quarterback, in my opinion. I, I don't I don't want to waste draft capital on a on a quarterback this this season, personally. Running back, I love Jameer Gibbs. I love Tank Bigsby. I, there are guys on that running back room that I, I think are really talented. I think there, there are a lot of guys I don't want to see in the NFC. Uh, but I don't know if it's a position of need for Green Bay, uh, just given the fact that you re-sign Aaron Jones. You're going to see Aaron Jones as a leader. I think there is a lot of love for A.J. Dillon. Um, and so I, I have a hard time... I have a hard time saying, oh yeah, they definitely, they definitely need a a running back. And yeah, I don't Gibbs is gonna go in, you know, the first, maybe the second round. Uh Zach Sherbot, not a bad player. I mean, they're they're good players. Like I like a lot of these guys. Like Dwayne McBride's another guy I, I like out of UAB. Like Tajay Taj Spears, a kid from from Tulane. I, I like him too. Uh Deuce Vaughn is really fun. Like, I, I mean, you could talk me into, I know people are saying Keyshawn Nixon as the Tyler Irving. If you drafted Deuce Vaughn as a guy who's just a game breaker and a, and a guy to put in your offense to just do fun shit with, 
you could talk me into that. Like that to me is different than Aaron Jones, different than than AJ Dillon and an awesome return specialist. And I know, yeah, you re-signed Nixon, but then you have another guy. And so then you have Nixon and Vaughn sort of at the same time. And if you're using Nixon more defensively, which I don't think they are, but that's not a bad idea. But yeah, I'm not not all in. Let's see, other positions we haven't talked about. We've talked oh, corner. It's a good corner draft, man. Like I, I don't know. There's a part of me where it's like if Devin Witherspoon falls and he's like all he's there at 15, do you draft him? Like or Christian Gonzalez, right? Another talented guy. Like, do do you draft those guys if they fall? Joy Porter Jr. gonna be drafted right around where the Packers pick. Do the Packers love drafting corners? Um, I think it would that would probably be the position that would drive people the craziest. If you want to say what would get people going draft night, what do the sports radio want to get all the calls? It'd be drafting a corner in the first shot <laughs> because you'd act like it's a, it's not a position of need with Jair, Rasul Douglas, and Eric Stokes. Now, from what Matt Lafleur said in the owners' meeting, it doesn't sound like Eric Stokes is going to be ready. I think if they do draft a a corner in the first round, that's a massive red flag that Eric Stokes is maybe not great. And maybe we're in a a bad position with Eric Stokes. And that this is going to take some time with Eric Stokes. And maybe Eric Stokes is not going to be the player that he was pre-ankle injury. And that that almost would worry you if they draft a corner. I I mean, would I be thrilled with any of those guys? Because I think they're all pretty talented. Yeah, I I would. I, I think... That's that's kind of the bitch of the beast because I think corner is probably one of the best positions in this draft, and I just I don't know if the Packers need it, and and but if they do draft it early, then that makes you wonder, you know, how healthy is Stokes, and would we we is there a chance like we're not seeing Stokes, you know, this season, or or that's a better chance for Sean Gary starts the season versus versus Eric Stokes, which would be a problem, it'd be an issue, and so. Uh, we'll, we'll just kind of have to monitor that. Uh, but I think that's one of those things to pay attention to. And we'll talk a lot more draft as we get closer. Uh, I'll try to do a little bit better job of sort of sussing it out. I think once we, if we do get the Roger stuff, and we can go into that right now, uh, once we get the Roger stuff, I think we'll have a clear idea of, of maybe what's going on there. And I think when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and sort of where we sit with the rumors, um, all of a sudden, it seems like business has kind of picked up between the Jets and the Packers. Uh, Diana Rossini reported the other day that they're now negotiating. They're talking it out, figure, and that the Packers also want a deal done before day one of the NFL draft. That makes a ton of sense if you're the Green Bay Packers, considering that I think they want those second-round picks if they do get them because it would lead to Green Bay potentially finding their way back into the first round. Um, you could definitely do that with two first round, two second round picks. Um, if Green Bay were to package something together, you have all those seventh round picks that you probably don't want to sit on and you could use a combination of the two. I don't know how the draft points work with Jimmy Johnson, don't ask me. But I, I do understand why the Packers want this done You know, before the NFL draft. And the, the, the leverage debate was hotly contested. And I think we saw why the Packers have the leverage because all of a sudden there were leaks about the 49ers. There were leaks about the Patriots kind of on the side where it's like, okay, they're looking at dealing back Jones. Is that because they're hoping that, you know, Aaron Rodgers might become available and that Aaron Rodgers could potentially be on the table? And what would the Patriots love more than to screw the New York Jets? And actually, I think the rumors about Mac Jones being chopped, I think spooked the, the Jets a little bit. I don't think it's the 49ers. I think it's the, the Patriots. The Patriots spooked the Jets. Like, I, I think that was the thing that got the Jets back to the table because that's 
that would be worst case scenario. Like there is nothing worse for the New York Jets. If he got traded to the 49ers, it'd be bad. And the reaction would be visceral. Joe Douglas would be on a hot seat uh, immediately. There would be people wanting Joe Douglas to be fired. There'd be people wanting Woody Johnson to sell the team. It would be pretty brutal for the Jets. But if he got traded to the Patriots, and the Patriots were the ones that got Aaron Rodgers, the Patriots, the team that has shit all down the Jets' throat for the last 10 years, a team the Jets can't really beat, I mean, that would be all time. That would be like, who's your daddy, Yankees, Red Sox type shit before the Red Sox broke the curse. Like, that's what that would be. It'd be akin to, I kind of, I, this is, a, it's not like a one-to-one comparison. And it's weird because it's, it's actually what happened to Boston and not what happened to New York. But if you guys remember, this is a long time ago, but Air, uh, Alex Rodriguez, another A-Rod, was supposed to go to Boston. Like there was a lot of talk about him going to Boston and that he was going to be a Red Sox. This may have actually been post-curse, actually, now that I think about it. But anyways, he it was like pretty like lockstep. He was going to go to the Red Sox. And then he, I think he then went to Texas and, but it was largely due to the Yankees meddling. And then he goes to the Yankees. I, I told that story poorly. I thought I had that cooked up, but basically like an example of a team who's lived in your lived in your head just completely fucking you over at the end of it. And Belichick would take no no more pride than to like that would that would make Belichick so happy to screw over the New York Jets. Like and I think the Jets know that too. And so I think. When you started to hear, all right, the Patriots are shopping Mac Jones, why would the Patriots be shopping Mac Jones? Are they going to go after Lamar? Are they going to go after Aaron Rodgers? And if they're going to go after Aaron Rodgers, then all of a sudden the Jets need to get a deal done to prevent the Patriots from doing that. And and so I think that it's been a masterclass by Brian Gutekunst. I know people don't want to give Brian Gutekunst credit. I think Brian Gutekunst has done a great job with this. I think he's held strong. He has he knows what he wants. He's making the Jets, you know, do it. And then he applied some pressure this week. He pushed out on the Jets a little bit by all of a sudden, okay, there's some 49ers rivers. Okay, maybe there's, you know, a little smoke around Rodgers and the Patriots. And I, I really do think that there there's a lot going on there. And I, I think he's gonna get what he wants. And I said this to you guys back in fucking March. I said, look. This is going to take some time, but the longer we go, the more desperate the Jets are going to get, and the Packers are going to get a package that they want. And I think, ultimately, if we end up with two first, two second-rounders this year, and we end up with a first-rounder basically unprotected in 2024, then I think that's a great deal. And Corey Davis included, fantastic. I think that would be a mass, it would be great. It would it'd be exactly what you want. And I, I get what the Packers are saying with 2024. And I, I understand their philosophy on why they don't want protections. They don't want escalator, escalators. They don't want conditions. Because in their, their mind, they're telling the Jets, like, hey, look, if you're bringing in Aaron Rodgers, you think you could win a Super Bowl. So if you win a Super Bowl, you're drafted 32nd. Why do you need to put conditions on it? Do you think you're going to be bad? And I understand where the Jets are coming from. And they're like, well, just in case. Like, what if Aaron Rodgers breaks his collarbone again? I mean, I know they're getting new turf at MetLife. I saw that the other day, but turf at MetLife has not necessarily led to a, a, a clean bill of health. The Giants, I think, were the most injured team in football last year, which is incredible that they made the playoffs. But 
it's it's one of those things where I, I hear the Jets side of it too, where they're like, well, just in case. I, I'm that type of person. I'm not a huge risk taker, but I think the Packers are like, if you you said you want him, he wants to go there, so you gotta you gotta kind of pay up for that. We're gonna find a team who's gonna do it unconditional 2024. Like that's that's the package we want. And if they get that package from somebody, if San Francisco, which we can talk about that in a second here, you know, comes to the table where they don't have a ton of draft capital, but they say, all right, here's what we're going to give you. And we're going to give you X, Y, and Z plus that for Aaron Rodgers. And they had interest in Aaron Rodgers before. I think actually Kyle Shanahan and Aaron Rodgers would work terribly together. I think those are two massive egos. I don't see any way Kyle Shanahan and Aaron Rodgers work. I think Bill Belichick and Rodgers would have a better chance of succeeding because even though Bill is a hard ass and does things his way, I think Aaron Rodgers could respect that. Uh, and I think he'd get he'd get on board. I think Aaron, the problem with Bill and Aaron would be the fact that Bill would hurt Aaron Rodgers' feelings all the time. Like that's 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 the problem. Like I think Aaron would be so just just puff this huffy and pouty all the goddamn time with the Patriots. I think with the 49ers. I think with Kyle, it would be he'd want to do his own thing, and Kyle would be like, no, 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 we're not doing that. And I actually think that would piss him off more than him getting his feelings hurt. So the 49ers part of it, listen, I it would have to be a like all-time deal for me to get on board with that. That one is a tough pill to swallow. I think even the most ardent Rodgers haters would would say like I don't really I don't really want I don't really want the the 49ers here because they're 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 a division they're a rival they're an NFC rival I have said on this podcast before that the 49ers are the biggest rival to the Green Bay Packers I've said that I've said that they are you know they matter to me the most so if they are the biggest rival and you're trading your former or well, your Hall of Famer, but your former like top guy to the Niners, like that's that that doesn't work for me. I, I can't do that, and I just like it as a pressure mechanism. Again, I like the fact that they're pushing down a little bit on it, but I uh, I, I don't know. I I can't I can't fully go in unless it's a all time deal. If you're getting Debo Samuel back in the deal, not saying you would, but like somebody. Something along those lines, or George Kittle, or like you're getting a major talent back, it plus draft picks, and it's again like you have to do the deal because it's that good. If that, then I can maybe swallow that pill. But still, like, what if you're good next year and in the playoffs it's Aaron Rodgers, the 49er against the Green Bay Packers? Do you really want that? Like. I made the case that you could trade him to an NFC team and understand, hey, it's a couple of years away. But it's it's interesting, man. And I think the last thing I'll leave you with is the Roger stuff, then we'll get to the Brewers. Remember, Brett Favre wanted to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Favre wanted to be a Buccaneer. Favre thought he was going to be a Buccaneer. And Ted pulled the rug out and traded him to the New York Jets. Brian Gutekunst reveres Ted. Some say he tries too hard to beat Ted. And it wouldn't surprise me if the rug gets pulled out. But if it's going to be to the NFC, it needs to be a knock-your-socks-off type deal. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers and wrap us up for today. 
We'll do Golden Kegs first uh, before we talk Brewers Cardinals. Uh, Golden Kegs, if you're unfamiliar with it, uh, we are doing it after every Brewer series. We're, we're, it's a way to recap everything. Uh, we put it already on TikTok. You can go find that on Tap the Keg Sports. If you want it in more of a bite-sized form, uh, go follow, go like, go like that video as well as others. Uh, five Kegs goes to Brian Anderson. I think the week Brian Anderson had was fantastic. Uh, made a true impact. He had the homers both on Monday as well as Tuesday, but he also had a two-run double uh, to start the scoring against Max Scherzer uh, after the Brewers had had some struggles against Scherzer last season uh, for Brian Anderson to sort of break it open and make it seem like, all right, yeah, we can do it against this guy. I think is big, and Brian Anderson's already sort of added value to his contract. Like It's already a good deal for the, the Brewers to have Brian Anderson on their roster. And his swing is really nice. I really like his swing. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but I really like Brian Anderson's swing. And I just wonder if the Brewers got something here. And I know it's one week overreaction, yeah, six games in, but it, it just seems like this guy was a rookie of the year candidate and then he fucked up his shoulder. And he said like, all right, yeah, I've had, I'm fully healthy now. And maybe the Brewers, you know, got a guy on the cheap and kind of got a guy lurking in the weeds that had Brian Anderson stayed healthy, maybe he's, you know, a $20 million a year guy, you know, who could play, you know, out infield, outfield, you know, has a bunch of power. Like he has big power. Like don't, like, and he also was at Marley. He's at a, a baseball park that was not power friendly. And so now he's here and he's been great. So uh, Brian Anderson, definitely a five-star guy for me, or five keg guy for me this week. Four kegs goes to Garrett Mitchell. Uh, Garrett Mitchell seems to be the toast of the town. Saw so he was on local radio this morning, which I think is very smart by Brewers PR to get Garrett Mitchell sort of ingratiated with the Brewers, you know, or with, you know, the fan base. I think there is a following that's developing for Garrett Mitchell. Uh, if you look at kind of the freshman rankings of who might be the most popular, I think Garrett Mitchell has that. I think it helps that he has a very TikTok famous wife. Um, so I think that, it, you know, there is a crossover there where there's a little more attention. I think his wife has almost a million followers on TikTok. Uh, this might shock you, but she's attractive. Um, <laughs> she also plays so softball, but I mean, let's let's be real. There, There's a little bit of a Livy Dunn thing going on uh, with, with his wife. Uh, so... I, it all helps, right? And he had a, he had a great week. Uh, he had he had the walk off home run on Wednesday, which was incredible. Uh, it was a great moment. He also you know had two homers in the game on Tuesday, uh, and he's really seeing the ball and he's really hitting the ball well. And you know some of the stuff that plagued him last year. Kurt Hogg pointed this out. Kurt Hogg, man, if you don't follow Kurt, he does a great job uh, on the Brewers beat and pointed out like that he he's hitting balls that he was whiffing on last year so and he's he did it off with two guys who have very good sliders and those were both the pitches he took out and you no longer can pitch that to garrett mitchell and so garrett mitchell's making it harder and harder to pitch against him and i i wouldn't be surprised if you know i think we're probably two weeks away from it so he, he has to keep it up but it wouldn't surprise me to see Garrett Mitchell move up the the lineup. I think there's at least you need to have that conversation because he's he's been playing good enough, right? And if Rowdy continues to struggle, I know he hit the home run on Tuesday, but if he continues to struggle, you know, is that is it something is it crazy to put Garrett Mitchell in the middle of the order? That might be a little bit of an overreaction, but yeah, I I like what Garrett Mitchell's doing. Three kegs to Freddie Peralta. Uh, I really could have done a four keg for Freddie Peralta here. I mean, he was great. Six innings, two hits allowed, seven strikeouts. That's probably better than a three keg, but you know we're beholden to the rules here. So 
That's where we're going to slot Freddie. Uh, but he he was really good. Uh, and it was a really strong start for him. Uh, he had a couple of walks early, got around those. And then once he got once he got, got rid of the walks, he was stellar. And so that's a good, good start for the Brewers. And if, you know, we'll talk about Burns here in a second. But, you know, Peralta as well as Woodruff looked great. Lauer's bat line looked good, but the velocity stuff was a little questionable. I don't know if you guys saw that. Uh, which we can talk about Lauer when we preview the Cardinals series. Uh, so I'm, the jury's still out for me on Eric Lauer. Uh, but as for the other guys, I, I think that, the, you know, if you can have Peralta, Wade Miley was good too. Um, Peralta, Wade Miley, Woodruff all pitching well to start the season. I'll take that. I'll take three out of five, um, no matter what the combination is. Uh, I think any team would take that early out of the season. Obviously, you want all your pitchers to be great. But it's very rare that all your pitchers are going to be just all-stars. Like, you're not going to have Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin just out the box. Zito, Mulder, Hudson. Like, right? Those, that doesn't come around. The Brewers are built on their starting pitching. But I think having three or five is a solid start with the way the offense is going. If the offense starts to slow starts to slug be a little sluggish it was like slug didn't work but they start to be sluggish uh then yeah maybe you need a fourth guy to step up but right now i think you're okay with three with the way the offense is playing so yeah i i think friday definitely three keg guy um and he probably was more in the 3.5 keg or four keg uh variety but again the rules are rules two kegs to christian yelich uh yelich had a good tuesday he had two hits in that game but did do a ton uh he's Definitely not back. Uh, it's been a rough start for Christian Yelich. I don't know if it's just him press, pressing, there's a little bit of pressure, or just you know getting comfortable, getting set in. Uh, guys can get off to slow starts, and then all of a sudden they catch fire. So hopefully at some point Christian Yelich catches that fire. He has done well against the Cardinals in the past, so maybe this is a, a weekend for him to get going. One keg to Corbin Burns. Man, rough, rough start for Corbin Burns. I'm not ready to panic on that. Um, I think we're at least two starts away from really panicking. I think it's a combination of a few things. And I've said this on Twitter, Tabby the Keg. Uh, I've said it on, I said it on the Golden Kegs video I did. So I apologize. This is the third time someone might hear this. But I think it's a com- And I think I said it yesterday on Tabby the Keg. So it's worth it. But I, I really think it's a combination of everything. Like, I, I just, I don't think like it's worth saying, all right, Corbin Burns sucks now. I think there are a lot of pitchers who are, you know, off to bad starts. I mean, Miles Nicholas, who they're facing the Cardinals, like he had two really bad starts. So does it mean that last year for Miles Nicholas was a barrage or that he's just off to a rough start? I, I mean, you've seen it before where guys guys start slow and then, you know, they rounded the forward bet. It was Burns just so distracted by all the arbitration stuff that he didn't put in the work and get himself ready. I think Mitch pointed out that he's been missing the cutter. You know, maybe he finds that. Maybe that's something he needs to work on. Maybe do less with the cutter. Um, I think Burns is talented enough to figure his way around it. He'll get Diamondbacks next week. They're, they've been okay to start the year. You know, a lot of excitement around that team. Uh, but they haven't necessarily, I think, lived up to it so far. Now, it hasn't helped that they have to play the Dodgers twice twice in April. Uh, that's And the Padres. They've had a really rough start this season. That, then you get the Brewers. Uh, pretty rough, rough, rough go uh, for the Diamondbacks. But that's, you know, this baseball, maybe. That, that happens. Uh, so we'll have to see. But I, uh, I I really do think that Burns will be okay. I don't think it's worth uh, worth the, the hellfire and brimstone yet for Corey Burns. All right, to wrap us up with the Brewers and Cardinals series this weekend, uh, 
I think this series matters a little more than maybe you think it does because it's April. And you're like, well, Charlie, it's, it's really early in the season. It's game six. It's game seven. You know, my guys uh, at Divine Sports Gospel, who are big Padres fans, Padres are struggling. Uh, they lost again last night. Another tough outing for their bullpen. Uh, they're three and four uh, to start the year. And Divine's like, all right, yeah, it's not a big deal. Like, don't worry. It's seven games in. We're okay. Everything's fine. I do agree with that. That philosophy, I've said that before. I do. I, I, I like agree with both sides of it. I agree with them. It reminded me too, like the Padres obviously had the success last year and then everyone expected the success to stay. It's kind of like the early early stages of the Bucks, like where the Bucks were fucking awesome. You know, and, and all of a sudden it's like, great, but you still have that old Bucks fan mentality. I think that's kind of what the Padres are dealing with right now. Um, and the, uh, the part of it too is, I look at it and I'm like, all right, yeah, they just they they're struggling from a bullpen perspective. But to go back to you know why I think these games matter and still are important is because you could start building a little bit of a lead. You could build a division lead here. The Cardinals are not really playing that well. They're two and four. They cannot seem to keep balls in the yard. They are giving up a lot of runs. They got swept by the Braves. They're a little bit of a wounded wounded duck coming into this one. Instead of, you know, playing really well. Jordan Walker has struggled defensively uh, so far this season. Like, he's not doing that well. Uh, so, I, I do think this is a time to strike for the Milwaukee Brewers versus a, a time to get the Cardinals hot, right? And the Brewers have struggled against the Cardinals in the past. But every year is different. You know, some of these young guys, they don't know that. You know, they don't know that the Brewers have struggled against the, these Cardinals in the past. So, I really, I really do think that this could be a good series for the Brewers. And it starts tonight with Brandon Woodruff. I think there are some that think Brandon Woodruff is the ace of this team, not Corbin Burns. Uh, so having Woodruff go for game one of a series is always great because it can set the tone. Uh, Jack Flaherty has had some moments against the Brewers. Um, I, I think one of my favorite, I think, game, Brewer Cardinal games of memory, this is years ago, was Flaherty, I don't know who was pitching for the Brewers, but I remember it was Flaherty and, and someone for the Brewers. It was back and forth, 0-0. And both were pitching great. And then Jesus Aguilar had a home run in the eighth inning uh, to give the Brewers a 1-0 victory. Uh, was an awesome, awesome moment. Um, and so can Flaherty had, you know, didn't allow any runs um, on Friday, but he walked seven guys. So the Brewers need to be patient. Um, if Flaherty still doesn't have his control, I think that's something the Brewers need to pay attention to uh, in the, for this game. Uh, I, I would say Saturday is the one I'm worried about the most uh, with Jordan Montgomery against Eric Lauer. I mentioned Eric Lauer's velocity being down. You add to the fact that lefties are, are not usually do well against the Cardinals with Arenado and Goldschmidt, two of the best guys against left-handed pitching. Uh, that worries me. Uh, that one to me is the one I, I feel the least confident about. Um, but yeah, I think with Peralta and Jake Woodford, who started bad, he did not pitch well against the Braves. Now, granted, it's the Atlanta Braves. I, I think they there's a case to be maybe made that the Braves are look like the best team in baseball at this point. It's April. It's very early. But the Atlanta Braves are have started off smoking. Uh, so maybe it's that. But it's still a young pitcher. It's his, you know, I might be his first start away from home. Uh, so it will be a big crowd for Easter. Frank Peralta has struggled against the Cardinals in the past because of the walks and the Cardinals are very patient. As long as Freddie settles in and does okay, I think that'll be all right. So I look at this series and I, I think the Brewers can get two out of three. Um, I would be kind of disappointed if they don't uh, because of just understanding 
it's the Cardinals. You could build a little bit of a cushion here and also, you know, tiebreakers and things like that. It's very possible that when the chips are down come September, it might be one or two games that separates these two teams. So it's important to get these wins early, especially when they're not played well. And I think, you know, for the Brewers, they can take advantage of that. So we'll have to see. We'll talk about it on Monday as well as other things. We'll see where the dust settles with the play-in. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, if we'll see if any Rogers rumors come up, I'm sure we'll recap the Masters if the Masters are able to finish on Sunday. Uh, it's best of luck there. I really hope that's the case. All right, take care. Have a good one. Have a good weekend. Enjoy Easter weekend with your families if you are doing that, and your and your kids. Everybody, uh, enjoy that. And we'll be back Monday to recap everything that happens this weekend. All right, see you guys. Take care. Bye.